Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. I want to ask you to take your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. While you're turning, let me encourage you to share this message today via social media. You may want to do that right now. There may need to be someone out there that you know that, that needs some encouragement or perhaps even some exhortation today about how not to miss the holidays. Have you ever had one of those moments where you said, i I got to stop for a minute, right? That great theologian Ferris Bueller used to say, life moves pretty fast. There are a few Gen Xers in here who know who I'm talking about. Who knows Ferris Bueller? Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and slow down and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Never is that more true than at the Christmas season. How many Christmases have we looked back on after all of the hustle and bustle, after all of the time spent wrapping gifts and running to the mall and going to this party and going to that party and dividing up our time among family and extended family to make sure nobody gets ticked off? Next thing you know, it's December the 26th. You ever live like that? And maybe it's not even Christmas. Some of you missed your own wedding because of that, right? We, we all have that temptation. And so if you don't want to miss Christmas this year, um, we've got some really, really good instruction in God's Word for maybe how not to make that mistake. While you're finding uh, your Bible, I do want to, this text, I do want to mention a couple of things. We have Advent materials still at the back. And so if you'd like to use that in, in conjunction with your own families, private worship you can. We also have a, a fairly large volume of ancient resources that I want to commend to you uh, at this Christmas time. Uh, we come from a variety of faith backgrounds here at Covenant. I think that's one of our strengths. Uh, but sometimes we, we can knock traditions, tribes, denominations, if you will, in a way that's rather trite and doesn't really appreciate the fact that all of us are really standing on the shoulders of others. And so certainly the Bible alone is our authority. We would never say anything less than that. But, but oftentimes, even in the 21st century, the way we express those biblical truths, whether we realize it or not, we, we've inherited those methods and those sayings through others. That, and that goes back 2,000 years. And so I want to commend a couple of resources to you. The first was a 4th century document written by an African bishop. Sometimes we forget that the earliest great expansion of the church outside of the Middle East was not Europe. It was not the United States, which did not even exist at that point. It was Africa. And the African bishop, Athanasius, wrote a book and simply entitled On the Incarnation. A few centuries later, in Europe, Anselm wrote a book called Cura Deus Homo. Don't let the Latin scare you. It is an English book now. It's been translated, and it's simply entitled Why God Became a Man. We're just commending these to you to, to just let you be reminded the shoulders that you stand on. They're out in the foyer, on the book table. They're free until they are gone. So may the Lord bless you this Christmas season. Lots of voices, as I mentioned, screaming at us through the culture today. It seems like uh, at this time of the year, those voices grow a lot louder. And before you know it, you can be participating yourself in this spiral of distraction that ensues and you look back and realize I miss Christmas. So here's what we're going to do the next couple of weeks. 
What are those things that distract us from the most important and even the focal point of this particular season? And today we're going to start with this subject. How do you hear God above the materialism? How do you hear God above the materialism? Recovery groups, when they normally get together, uh, they, they have a ritual. They'll introduce themselves and they'll say something along the lines of, hello everyone, my name is Joel and I'm an alcoholic. Hello, everyone. My name is Joel, and I'm a drug addict. Have I, even putting a more positive spin on our Celebrate Recovery groups, it might sound something like this. Hello, my name is Joel, and I'm a follower of Jesus who struggles with alcoholism. Or I'm a follower of Jesus who struggles with drug addiction. I, I, don't, think it would be, I, I don't think it would be inappropriate at all for us to admit that sometimes we need to introduce each other that way when it comes to materialism. Hello, everyone. My name is Joel, and I like stuff. Don't you like stuff? Who else likes stuff? Who's looking forward to getting some stuff? All right, the next, the next couple of weeks. Um, and I'm not the only one, and you're not the only one. Our, our culture is, is covered in this. In, in fact, just last month, the Wall Street Journal put an article out called The Rise of the Extreme Advent Calendar. The reporter, Michelle Slatala, said that Advent's always been somewhat of a mobile tradition, um, it's the various and sundry ways in which we've practiced it because we're, we're really, there's no biblical grounds for it. We're just trying to mimic in some way the, the advent or the, the looking forward to the coming of Jesus that, that, that the first people who look forward to the coming of Jesus experienced. And so we, we find different ways in different cultures to do that. But, but in today's market, and I really do mean that literally, the market, you can get 30 days of socks. You can get 30 days of dog treats. You can get 30 different kinds of gin. One too many people went, hmm, that sounds good. You can get 30 tiny Christmas ornaments. And in Colorado, you can get 30 joints. I'm not making this up. You, you can do it. Here's what Slatala said in the article. There's some very expensive options in here as well. She says they disgorge expensive beauty products, flavors of pork cracklings, and $150,000 worth of Tiffany jewelry. Now, nothing wrong with buying gifts. Nothing wrong with giving gifts. Nothing wrong with receiving gifts. Materialism isn't defined that way. Okay, giving gifts in many ways reflects Christ. That's where gift giving came from among Christians. It was the recognition that the greatest gift that was ever given to us was when God incarnated himself in the person of, of Jesus Christ and, and gave his son to us. And so we reflect something of that when we give gifts to our loved ones. That's not wrong. Materialism isn't defined by what you own. It's not defined by what you acquire this Christmas. In fact, it's not it's not defined by the size of your portfolio. There's a, there's a myth running around today that assumes that if you're rich, you must be greedy or you must be evil or you must be corrupt. And I have to tell you, I know a number of very rich people, a few of which I can find for you in the Bible who love Jesus. They may have a lot of stuff, but they're not materialistic. Conversely, I know people who live paycheck to paycheck, and you probably do too. They're nose right above the poverty line who are very materialistic. When we're talking about materialism, we're not talking about what's in the bank, okay? I was talking with a missionary friend of mine who spent a lot of time in Ghana, and I was shocked several years ago when he told me that the biggest issue that they were facing in Ghana, one of the most poverty-stricken nations in that part of Africa, 
was materialism. I said, how in the world can that be? He said, well, if a man has a grass hut, he wants a mud hut. If he has a mud hut, he wants a masonry hut. And it's about, Joel, a lot more than just aspiration for a better life. All of their lives are obsessed with getting the next biggest, better thing. See, those folks are just as fallen as we are. We do a lot of work here at Covenant in the developing world. And, and one of the dangers, well, actually, there's two dangers to working in the developing world. The first danger is that you'll come back and the sum total of what you will learn is how blessed we are versus how not blessed they are, which is, just means you completely missed the point. But the other danger might even be greater. It's the sense that because they don't have what we have and they simultaneously have smiles on their faces when they're around us, you got to remember, you're seeing the best side of these folks, that somehow they're more spiritual than us. We have the myth of the poverty paradise when we go to these places and we work among those people and then we come back to a, a, an environment like this one that we know, we, we just know it far better than we know the one we only spent just two weeks in. And we assume, well, they must be better than why? Because they don't have anything and they were always smiling and they were always worshiping and everything's wonderful. Well, that's because you didn't live with them long enough. Right? Fallenness is not indexed to the level of material goods you have. So materialism is not about what you have. It's about whether you're constantly focused on what you don't have. That's what materialism is. That becomes a major problem during the holidays. And I think over the last several years, on both the giving and the receiving end, there are several reasons for that. Maybe we're trying to make up for something. Your parent who's a workaholic or you just willingly you just don't you don't willingly make the time for your kids and so you've spent 11 months ignoring them and so now you you need to prove somehow that you love them and so you you buy them everything you empty your bank account or fill up your credit limit to the max trying to make up for 11 months of absence maybe you're an, an abusive spouse or a neglecting spouse and you you refuse to change your ways or to do things differently but you offer all kinds of stuff at this time of the year lavishing gifts on your spouse and to make up for that abuse that neglect the, the curse of materialism can fool people into thinking that stuff is a great substitute for repentance but it's not so maybe you're trying to make up for something maybe you conflate buying gifts with showing love now buying a gift for someone is certainly a way that you can show love Okay, husbands, don't read too much into this. Trust me, there better be something under that tree. You don't want to look at your wife and say, hey, three weeks ago, Pastor Joel said that's not how we show love. That ain't what I said. Okay, you're going to get me and you both in trouble. It's a way to show love, but, but whatever is in your wallet can never take, place, take the place of what's in your heart. I remember many, many, probably more than about 10 Christmases ago, it was just an incredibly busy season in my life. And I, it was before I came here to Covenant. I was traveling all over the world. I was on airplanes a lot. But along with that, I'd also picked up a lot of extra uh, kind of speaking engagements and service work. My third book had just come out, and I was benefiting from the, the front-end royalties of that. And so, so I decided what I would do is, is I would, that was the year I spent a lot on the kids. Sam got an Xbox One that year, Okay. And so I just, I just did that. And I remember not too long after that, sitting with an older colleague whose kids were already grown and having him look at me and say, so, and he said, how old are your kids now? And then he said, so that older one, who's now 21 and about to graduate from college in May, 
Now, he's about to become a teenager. Yeah, I know. Seems like yesterday we just brought him home from the hospital. And he said, okay, so what, what, are, you doing to, what are you doing to prepare for that? What are you doing to get ready for that? And I didn't understand the question. I said, I don't know what you mean. And he leaned over the table and got right in my face. And he said, what I mean is, what arrangements are you making to keep your butt at home more? That boy's going to need his father. Some of the best advice I ever received as a parent. Sometimes we think material goods make up for something. Sometimes we conflate all of that with, with demonstrating love. Well, if I just buy enough stuff, they'll know that I love them. Sometimes we, we substitute giving for real family. I'm seeing a lot of social media pictures right now that, that bring me great joy in some of your lives and the, really more the lives of, of people that are friends of mine from all over the country, people I went to seminary with, some of which I went to high school with, and, and they, their children are being accepted into universities now. All right. have, you, have you seen the college acceptance Facebook? It's going gonna, it's gonna to overshadow the first day of school Facebook pretty soon. My kid got into Clemson. My kid got into Oklahoma. My, my kid got into Harvard. My kid got into Furman. It's really awesome. We like to put the best of what we've got. How many of you, I wonder if there's anybody in here, don't raise your hand, we don't, anybody, we don't want to stoke envy or anything, but, but, but uh, is there anybody in here that your Christmas is actually going to look like those car commercials with the Lexus with the big bow on it? I'm just wondering, right? If it was, the spouse might want to put that on their social media feed. You know what we don't put on our social media feed? Well, stuff like what's in these pictures here. When the children are behaving badly, when you're arguing over your finances. This should come up about any time now. I know it's up on there. There we go. I, I've never seen anything. I mean, we don't put that stuff up, do we? We don't want anybody knowing about that. But you know what? That's real family. That, that's the, it includes all of this, including that bottom picture that my own family is going to have to experience in a few days. There is not enough stuff in the world to take that away. You can't do it. There's not enough stuff. You can't buy enough. I lived in Howard County, Maryland for 11 years, the third most affluent county in North America. The addiction rates, it's just not opioids. It's, it's, it's not heroin. It, it's, it's high level, very expensive boutique meds that people get hooked on over there. It's still addiction. Same stuff. It's a little easier to hide behind a gated community, but it's the same stuff. You cannot buy enough stuff to overcome family dysfunction or dysfunction in your own life. Real family, all that, that has to come from another source. And the real danger in allowing materialism to creep into our lives is not even some of the stuff I've mentioned. It's the ultimate effect that it can have on our souls. And nowhere do we see that danger more clearly than in Luke chapter 12. What's interesting is what gives rise to the words we're going to read. Jesus is in the middle of a long discourse. He's preaching a sermon. He's teaching the crowds about spiritual corruption. He's encouraging them not to have any fear, even if people try to kill them for their faith. He's telling them to be bold in their proclamation of their faith in him. There's an allusion to what has become known as the unpardonable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Don't have time to cover that one. We'll get to that one a little bit later. In other words, there's all these weighty, eternal things that are being taught, and then all of a sudden, there's an interruption in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Can you imagine 
of all the eternal weighty things that were being discussed in that environment to be interrupted by something like that. When I was in seminary, I had a pastoral ministries professor, and his name was Dr. Bill Cubon. Uh, you would not appreciate Dr. Cubon, and I'm going to tell you why. He gave me advice that I did not follow, and that's why I'm here. All right? He, th- this, this professor said, he said, fellas, I'm going to tell you something. He said, I've been doing, and he'd been in ministry at that point about 30 plus years. He said, it, it, the first time a church gets interested in you to the point that you think they're going to maybe interview you and, and you're going to maybe go and possibly be the pastor of that church. If the campus is within driving distance, you need to get in your car and you need to drive to the campus. And I want you to look for two things. I want you to look for a gymnasium and I want you to look for a graveyard. And if it has either one of those, go back home, call them and tell them you're not interested. You can laugh. We have an activity center, a gym here. Obviously, I didn't follow all of that advice. But, but you know what he was getting at? He would later tell us. He said, you, very few of the controversies and the drama and the, the just like people leaving and just all, the, all the vitriol around a church, he said, hardly any of it, maybe none of it will ever be over anything eternally weighty. It will always be over who gets gym time, who gets a free grave plot. That's what it's going to be. Now again, can there be good things about it? Can there be redemptive things about it? Of course there can be. But, but the point he was making was, was the point that we're, we're trying to avoid in this text where this man went. He's not even listening to what's going on. He's always focused on things that don't ultimately matter. My brother and I are in a huge argument over how to divide up our dead relative's estate, and we need you to solve that. whole thing begins with this rude interruption over inheritance. This is the biggest danger of materialism. It will distract you from much more important, much more eternal things because materialism will tell you the lie that the immediate is the most important. You need to tell my brother to do what's right. Give me my rightful share of stuff. So how blessed was their father to be dead at that moment? To not see them dishonoring him. By picking at his estate like buzzards fighting over a carcass in the road. Jesus' response is appropriate. Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Now, let's be careful and read this in context. Jesus is not saying he's not going to judge this man. What he's saying is, I got better things to do. I did not come to reconcile family disputes over money and property. Stop trying to drag me into this. I will not be triangulated. You're just going to either have to keep grasping for more or you're going to have to repent. And then he enters, issues a warning that in our day is ever more, never really, I don't think, more appropriate than at Christmas. Verse 15, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I've been talking to you about all this weighty, eternal stuff. You interrupt me because of some petty nonsense going on. Your life does not consist of that. That's not what your life is about. And you're going to lose your life if you keep trying to think this is what it's all about. Don't be so defined by your continual pursuit of material things that you miss life itself. And at the holidays, we can say this. When you define the totality of your holiday celebration by what you have or what you don't have, when you rate how Christmas went this year solely or even mainly on the basis of who got what and whether you could afford to get the kids everything they wanted, everybody misses Christmas. You have to hear God above that. 
This text gives us four ways to do that. Number one, refuse to be interrupted by less important things. Look back with me at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? The eternal weight of everything Jesus has been talking about. Compared and contrasted with the silliness and selfishness of this person becomes apparent. Whether it's two brothers arguing over an inheritance, church leaders vying against each other for attention, two people on opposite ends of the political spectrum fighting with each other, nothing is more deadly to the people of God than being self-centered. You need to solve this. This is what makes materialism so sinister. When you're obsessed with stuff, you make the more immediate more important than the eternal. Well, that's no way to celebrate Christmas. That's no way to celebrate Christmas. Jesus' answer to this man indicates how obvious it was, not only that his timing and tone were inappropriate, but that he hadn't even been listening to all the spiritual lessons Jesus was trying to teach. The only thing he could think about in this moment was his finances, and, and that's what materialism will do. You go, well, am I materialistic or am I not? Well, are you or are you not on that merry-go-round? That'll answer the question for you. Okay, we, we live in a culture that encourages this. It encourages this. Whether or not I'm able to retire comfortably in this environment is almost wholly dependent on whether from now to the moment I become Medicare eligible, whether the stock ticker every single market day from now until then has more green lights than it does red lights. You go, well, Pastor, that's capitalism. Are you anti? Nope, I'm a big fan of capitalism. But capitalism has two sides to it. There's a production side of it that's incredibly healthy and good and brings prosperity. There's a consumption side of it that's satanic. And I'm going to tell you something, more increasingly over the last 50 years, this nation's economy becomes more and more dependent on whether it's green or whether it's red, and that green or red indicator is more and more dependent, almost exponentially so, with each successive year, depending on how much stuff we consume. So we're trapped in this, and we've got to realize that. We're in the middle of a system that encourages us to stay on that merry-go-round. Otherwise, the whole thing might just collapse. That's where we're at. So there's never been a better time to be counter-cultural than right now. And get off that merry-go-round. Don't have a sense of urgency about what you can buy. Don't overspend. Listen, we're, we're going to have financial peace mid-January, somewhere into February. We're going to start financial, but just like we do every single year, because we long to help people that have gotten themselves into a fix or that through no fault of their own have gotten into a little bit of a fix. We want to help you get out of debt. We want to help you get into a better financial position. We think there's wisdom in scripture to, to help you get there. But you know, the biggest reason we do it in January and February is because of what people do in November and December. Wouldn't it be wonderful? If our financial peace people came to me and said, Pastor, we got a problem. What's the problem? Nobody signed up. Well, I don't, is that such a bad thing? Well, I don't know. Let's find out. Why didn't they sign up? Well, because they're living biblically and they're living responsibly and they're doing what God tells them to do and they're viewing their money and their possessions the way God tells them to view them and they're not putting the immediate as more important than the eternal. They're living 
in a way that they ought to live. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful that that ministry wouldn't be needed anymore. Did you know that it took Americans the duration of 2019 to pay off the credit card debt they accrued in November and December of 2018? It took 12 months to pay off the debt that it took two months to accrue. And because it was consumer debt, it came at an average interest rate of probably north of 25%. If verse 15 is true, and it's in God's word, so this preacher is just going to assume that it is. If my life does not consist of my possessions, why would I ever allow my focus at Christmas to be interrupted by what I do or do not possess? You've got to refuse to be tempted by the less important. Secondly, we have to avoid the cycle of obsession. Verse 16, and he told them a parable. One of the things I love about Jesus is he always had a story. And the story always applied perfectly to the moment. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. See, most of the time when you, when you get money, it produces more liability. Did you realize that? Some of you think, if I could just get to here, go talk to somebody that's there, and they're going to tell you, when my income went here, my liabilities rose with it, almost inevitably. One of the most encouraging stories I shared with a young church planter who had a budget of not more than about $50,000. Most of the people in this room, I would imagine your family income is more than that. And this guy's whole church income barely made it to that. And he said, I've got such tight margins. And I was able to share with him that one of the largest churches in the convention that I served at the time that had a budget in excess of $4 million. I had just talked with that lead pastor the day before. And you know what he said? Man, the margins are tight. It's not always more stuff that's going to get you what you need. And when you, when you stay on that cycle, it, it never goes anywhere. Once you get on that merry-go-round, it never stops. See, it'd be easy for us to look at this guy and say, well, he's a rich dude. Yeah, he deserved what Jesus said to him. He was, you know, maybe a little sarcasm. Yeah, boy, he was really suffering. I, I've never been that rich, and he's whining about his problems. I could show this guy some problems. you got to look a little closer. That word plenty, the nature of that description is comparative. If you look at this in the Greek text, the result of his labor is that he, become, he becomes viewed as well-to-do. That's another way of saying this man all of a sudden became a status of wealth in his community. We've had people like that in modern history. They've had last names like Carnegie and Rockefeller and Trump and Branson and Musk. That's who this guy was as, as a result of a very, very good year in, in agriculture. But the problem is he wasn't just rich, he was also materialistic. You can be rich without being materialistic. His materialism wasn't revealed in what he gained. His, his materialism was revealed in how he reacts to what he's gained. He's not thanking God. He's not, hey, this is wonderful. He's he's what do I do now? Do you notice it? It, it? The increase created more anxiety in his soul, not less. Now what do I do? By the way, um, this is why the overwhelming 99 plus percentage of you, all of you, if God is gracious, will never win the lottery. I love you. 
you shouldn't be playing that crap anyway. You're propping up a corrupt system that, that disenfranchises the poor. It's another sermon for another day. God loves you too much to let you get a hold of that money because he knows for most of us, our response to it will be exactly what we read here. Now what do I do? You can't handle it. You can't handle it. Go read the research on the number of people that win it big. I'm talking they win the pick six, they win the Powerball, and within five years they're broke again. Read it. It's not what they have. It's not even how they got it so much as their attitude, what shall I do next? That's another way of saying this. Materialism is revealed when our prosperity results in an obsession over keeping the prosperity. Getting more prosperity. That's exactly what happens here. The most ominously revealing statement in this story is this one. I will build bigger barns. You're witnessing a man caught in a cycle. There is no contentment with what he has. Just an obsession with how to get more. Let me tell you why that happens. It, it happens because we can never build barns big enough to contain what will allow us to be enough. Because there's always the chance it could go. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. There is no car new enough or nice enough to satisfy you. There's no house with more square footage that can ultimately satisfy you. There's no portfolio that looks better than the one you opened up last month when your returns came in that can ultimately satisfy you. There's no level of income that can ultimately satisfy you. I think about Dr. Linton's statement last week when he was quoting G.K. Chesterton who said, even someone knocking on the door of a brothel, whether he realizes it or not, is in search for God. Now, he doesn't know that he's searching for God. He's certainly not trying to find God. He certainly won't find God on the other side of that door. But what's he looking for? He's looking for something to satisfy him that it's not going to. Not ultimately, anyway. You become relative to your wealth if you are in this cycle like a dog chasing a car. You ever seen a dog get loose and chase a car? I mean, where, where I grew up... I didn't even know what it meant to let the dog loose. They were all loose. Y'all remember those days? They just ran all over everything. And I remember several times, dog, oh, 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 he'd go running after the car. And I remember a couple times where the dog caught the car. You know what you have when you get a dog chasing a car who finally catches what he's chasing? You get a three-legged dog who still chases cars. That's some of you. When it comes to your credit card debt, when it comes to what's going to happen next, when it comes to how, how much more do I need, you keep running after the next big thing. Nothing is more heartbreaking to me than to see sons and daughters of the king obsessing over the same materialistic stuff as everybody else in the world does over the holidays because the, like this rich fool, you can't hear God through your own obsession. You're caught in the cycle. So refuse that interruption. Avoid that cycle. Number three, run toward God, not toward stuff. Now, why did I word that that way? Because you can't run toward both. Look at verse 20. God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? 
Not only can you never accumulate enough material wealth and toys and cars or anything else to bring you satisfaction, one day even what you have is going to be taken away from you. Everything I own is going to be taken. Wayne Lynn, my father-in-law, as of about 3 o'clock Friday morning, owned nothing in this world. It was all taken away. And simultaneously, he gained everything. You get the difference? Okay. So the question is whether your obsession is are you aimed at the one or are you aimed at the other? Because if you're always looking at this, that is a very, very clear reflection of your heart. And you cannot perpetually chase that stuff. You can't run toward both. I can imagine Jesus staring down at this man who called him out as he's trying to tell this part of the story. As if to say to him, you need to get your mind off of this inheritance dispute between you and your brother and pay attention to what I've been telling you, the eternal weight of my words, because one day this is going to happen to you. You get on that cycle of materialistic obsession, every time you go around it, it takes you further from God. There's centrifugal force and centripetal force, right? Centrifugal force is a force that takes you away from center. Centripetal takes you towards center. Materialistic obsession is a centrifugal force. It pulls you away from the center. Every single time you go around it, you get further and further away. And this is the most frightening part of the story. This rich man has spent so much time considering how to store his material wealth, it distracted him from ever considering what would happen to his soul. Jesus asked this question, Three chapters earlier in Luke, he said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And this, of course, points to a principle that Jesus taught in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There's never been a more clear contrast in all of Scripture than that. You cannot serve both. You're going to have to pick a team, get the fence pole out of your butt. It's either me or it's your possessions. That's it. You're like, that's strong. I know it is. We don't talk enough about this. Listen, the evangelical church in the West has done a really, really good job of this kind of thinking when it comes to sex, generally speaking. With exception of a lot of the fear-mongering that we've done, We've done a really good job of telling people that, look, sexual sin is, is serious because it's idolatry, right? This is what Romans 1 tells us. Yet they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. When, when you take a good gift from God like sexual activity intended to be enjoyed for his glory within the confines of marriage, and you take it outside of that boundary, you're worshiping a body created by God rather than God himself, which is why he takes sexual sin so serious. Which is why you can't serve God and sex. We know that. We teach that. We're faithful in teaching that. We should continue to be faithful in teaching that. Yeah, I know where I live. It's still the truth. But there are two other categories that we have almost completely ignored. We're faithful when it comes to sex. Woefully unfaithful when it comes to power and money. And the warnings of Scripture, like sex, not inherently evil to have either one of them. What do you do with them? How do you use them? How does, how does this work? Okay, this, 
You cannot be in relationship with God by being constantly preoccupied with material wealth. You cannot hear God at one of the most significant seasons of the year in which we celebrate the incarnation while at the same time running from the mall to Walmart to Amazon in an obsession to find the perfect gift because your life does not consist of such things. That's the hope and encouragement of this. Your your life is meant for more than that. Does it mean you can't buy gifts? No, not at all. Being rich isn't the same as being materialistic. I've mentioned that. Being poor is not the same as being spiritual. There there are two or three really popular guys running around the country right now teaching that, that, well, really, you just got to sell everything you have. This should literally be applied to everyone. No one should make above this level salary. If they do, they should give most of that away. They should do this. They should do that. It's a poverty gospel that is every bit as heretical as its prosperity gospel counterpart because in both prosperity gospel and poverty gospel, the focus is not Jesus, it's money. Do you have it or do you not have it? You know what's ironic? I can invite one of those people to come and and talk to us. Now, we'd have to cover a lush hotel and first-class airline seats and about a five dollars to $10,000 honorarium to get them to come and stand in this spot and tell us how we all ought to be poor. Isn't that funny? It's a little silly. It's okay to view stuff. It's okay to have stuff. How should I view my stuff? Okay? How should I view it? That's the big question. We we don't want to be, this guy obviously got it wrong because he ended up in hell. All right? There's your first clue. How do we do this? Well, look at this final thing in verse 21. Use your wealth for the kingdom. Use your wealth for the kingdom. Verse 22, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. It's not about having stuff. It's whether you leverage what you have for the glory of God. And interestingly enough, that takes us right into the next section of Luke where he talks about anxiety. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious, not anxiety generalized. That's a whole much more nuanced and complicated matter. I'm talking about anxiety indexed to material goods. That's what Jesus is dealing with here. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will put on. If you're not anxious and distracted by a materialistic heart, you can be rich toward God. You won't build bigger barns. You will bless other people. God's God's been good to some of you. What are we doing with it? You probably got a neighbor that's suffering. You probably got somebody who's been dealing with chronic illness. You think part of what you do during this coming season of giving might be directed toward Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself? Use your wealth for the kingdom. Don't try to just get rid of it. Don't feel guilty because you have it. Thank God for it. Be content. Don't be anxious. Ask him how to use it to advance his greatness. What if this story is true of you as we approach the Christmas season? Do you overspend as a means of therapy or escapism? Do you spend everything you have and save nothing? Do you give nothing? Do you fail to give God what is his? Do sermons about money and possessions make you nervous or angry? Are you on the cycle of obsession for more stuff? You can hear from God this Christmas. You can commune with him as you never have before. 
But for some people, that will never come unless you realize that this issue, materialistic hearts, is possibly the greatest rival in our time and place to the worship of the one true and living God. You cannot serve God in money. So stop serving money. Rebel against this cultural assumption that your life consists of possessions. Your life consists of the one who created you and sent his son into time and space, the very thing we celebrate this Christmas, to redeem you. Live in that. Live in that. And recognize what Paul said in Philippians, to live as Christ. And if you are living in Christ, death is a gain. It's a gain. Let's pray together. Father, deliver us from the idols of our age, whatever they are. And Lord, for many of us, even the whole idea of, of success, the way we just assume that if you're rich, you must be good. If you're rich, you must be successful. If you're rich, you must know how things get done. If you're and, and Lord, it just leads us into all manner of false teaching and false living. And it traps our souls. And so, Father, I pray for deliverance today. I pray for your people to get a sense of that. I pray, Lord, that they would take to heart not just the parable, but the things that Jesus was teaching before he spoke of this parable. Lord, may we not mistake the most immediate for the most important. May we, whether it's through these ancient documents that we're reading together or the Advent materials or the extra time we commit to spend with our families this, this holiday season, Lord, may it be that we rest in more eternal things and that we're reminded of that so that we will not miss Christmas. And for Lord, for, for those who may not know you who are listening to me right now, may today be the day, Father. Would you draw them by your Spirit an understanding of their sin and their need to repent of it and to put their faith in you. Lord, may they celebrate, maybe even for the first time in their life, the real thing. Grant us that ability now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at nine o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.